and welcome to the Daft Souls podcast. Today recorded uh, at Quentin Smith's house, and it's just me and Quentin Smith, and I feel like we're spies in a restaurant. It's because our recording setup, and this was all set up by Matt, and I'm mm. trusting his complete, him completely, is a box with a pillow in and, yeah. a, and a Pokemon blanket. It is. This Pokemon blanket is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life, but it means that we're kind of... Uh, at a table hiding in the corner like basically with our heads slightly stuck into a cardboard box a little bit I feel like I'm six years old it's weird it's like it's like being on a first date in a restaurant but also hiding in a box so the waiter doesn't see you and force you to order starters and or soup we're about our faces are ten inches away from each other. It's as just well. unbelievable. Like it's going to be now the least sexy day ever, where we talk for an hour about, about video, video games. games. <laughs> this is episode seventy-five of the Daft Souls podcast. Three quarters of a way to a hundred. You know what happens at a hundred, Matthew? We both explode. Yes. Um, so please don't let that happen. Um, yeah. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> as if this is a radio show. I say. I don't know what I'm on about. Let's talk about some video games. Let's do it, man. Let's jump straight into the dark, bloody meat of this podcast. You've been playing Dark Souls. I have. I've been playing Dark Souls 3 and I promised last week. I said, yeah, I'm going to talk about it this week. Well, here I am, Daddy Potatoes. Okay, I'm going to ask you some questions. Sure. Uh, Is it good? Yes. Is it better than Dark Souls 2? Oh, yes. Is it better than Dark Souls 1? Probably not. (laughs) Okay. I mean, these are easy questions. All right. I've got to say my, uh, my opinions of it have kind of been interesting. Really? Well, have yeah. you some interesting opinions? <laughs> well, I mean, like, is in uh, maybe not on par with everyone else's. I've played it for about 15, 16 hours or so. Okay. And I've got to say, for the first eight hours, I wasn't really feeling it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember when the reviews hit, I was a bit like, what? Really? Because all the reviews are kind of going, this is brilliant, nine and a half I mean, they've 10. done that for every single Souls That's game. the thing. They did that for Souls 2 as well, and everyone was like, this is brilliant. And I was then going, what, what is the internet smoking? Um... And I was worried that it was going to be the same thing again because I kind of know why now. That it's not a case of being like people were wrong about it. It's just that the Souls, the, the original game, Souls, Dark Souls. I say the original, the original game, game Demon Souls. Demon Souls. Well, that's the thing is, Demon Souls did a lot of really cool things. Well, no, the original game, Kings. Kings. All oh, right, all oh, right. <laughs> no, the original game, Pong. <laughs> oh shit! Uh, but no, Dark Souls was amazing because it did so many things really well. It had this cool, like, amazing kind of online system of of tricking each other, but also having this degree of trust and uh, you know dueling and respect among and and you mean the the culture that came out of the online yeah the online stuff had a really interesting cultural element uh, which a lot of people loved uh, the mechanical side of it as well this really cool medieval combat um, and also the scope of stuff you could do like whether you want to do magic or or bow and arrow or sneaky little fast backstabbing sure but so far you could be describing Dark Souls two to me. No, but that's the thing. And that's the thing is that's why I think a lot of people thought Dark Souls 2 was pretty cool is because mechanically it was all right. And in terms of having the online stuff and having the dueling and having stuff, it was good. But the things it didn't have, which Dark Souls 1 had beautifully, was this uh, really consistent sense of tone and a world which just gave you a very simple um, uh, narrative to it. Like, Mm -hmm. Dark Souls, in a way, didn't really have a story. It was all about a journey. I mean, this is the funny thing to me, because Dark Souls 1 was so consistent throughout its world building and level Mm -hmm. design and, uh, you know, uh, the rules of the world. Yeah. However, those rules and the logic of the Souls games have always been a bit weird. The story doesn't quite make sense. The setting doesn't quite make sense. So I think it would have been... It it was a tough task for reviewers playing the second Dark Souls game to realise it wasn't making sense 
but not in the way that it was supposed to not yeah. make sense. Yeah, not in a good way. Yeah. Uh, and that's the thing. I, I'm currently working... One of the weird things about playing um, the Dark Souls 3 is it's just made me appreciate a lot of the design decisions in Bloodborne massively. So I'm currently working on a video about narrative design in Bloodborne, which will touch on some of this stuff. But um, the thing about Dark Souls was it, the story didn't matter. There was an interesting story there, mm-hmm. but you didn't know what it was. You're just a guy going ring some bells. And, <laughs> and like, fine. I mean, and even at the end, I think a lot of people finished the last boss, killed Gwyn, mm. and had no idea what was going going on but no. it was fine because it was uh, an enjoyable enough of a world to just explore and to just be pushed further and further into this lake that wanted to drown you that it was just an amazing tonal experience and you didn't need to know what was going on but in the second game you had sort of much more simple sort of you know go and kill the king but you didn't know what was going on but then even when you did it was just yeah, it was a mess, I thought. But anyway, with 3, I really worried it was going to be the same. And for the first eight hours, it really feels the same. It feels like a proper, like... Slightly disjointed. Well, not really disjointed, just very much like juggling old assets and juggling old things. Okay, it's yeah. like you're walking around parts, there's dragons. It's just like this very much sense of like, I've done this before. You know, I don't know how we've gotten here, but I mean, Demon Souls was incredible to me, Dark Souls amazing, Bloodborne amazing, and now, now we're at Dark Souls 3, and somehow they've taken this this format and this development team, and it's so beautiful what they're doing, mm. and yet I'm kind of bored. Yeah. Like, I don't know what questions to ask you. I know it's going to be a Souls game, I know it's going to be good, I know people are going to bicker endlessly as to whether it's the good kind of good Souls game or the bad kind of good Souls game. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I would love for it to do something where I'm like, ooh, that sounds new, I'd love to get involved in that. Well, I think the main thing I'm feeling from it already and the only thing I consistently agree with in all the reviews I've read is that after this I'm done with Souls I think like yeah. uh, and I mean that's fine like, I, I feel that already like 12-15 hours in um, I'm enjoying it more now and I'm interested in it more now and I'm going to stick with it but I'm very much feel like I'm done with this world. Tell think, me, give me something to latch onto. What's the coolest thing that's happened to you so far? Spoilers be damned, because I don't yet have a desire to even buy this game. Ah, uh, well, no, I'm not. I'm not. Obviously, people at home, Matt's not about to spoil. Something no, serious. no, no. I he loves the game too much. Yeah, I wouldn't without a real warning. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think without spoiling anything, the things it does well is it's quite good at being unpredictable about using the kind of format in a way. Like, okay. I mean, something very simple, which isn't really a spoiler, is uh, in the original games, very much like whenever you come to a big set of doors and you open a big set of doors, what's behind the big set of doors? Boss. Yeah. In this, not so much. Like, sometimes there's a boss, sometimes there isn't. And it does a really nice thing of, sometimes it's a boss, sometimes it's a bonfire, which is fucking Oh, lovely. wow. And you just being like, often I've had bits where I've purposefully not been opening ominous doors because I'm like, <laughs> oh, man. And then you open them and it's a bonfire and you just go, oh, for fuck's sake, like, I've needed this for so long. And and that's really nice. Um, and there's lots of other ways it kind of subverts your expectations. I mean, that's that comes back to what we were talking about, though, because sometimes that would happen in two, where I would go, there's going to be a boss here, or sure. this will be the end of the world. And it was and that to me felt like an error in the level design yeah and the delicacy of hand required that when for example it's a bonfire behind the door you go ah oh, you tricked me you cheeky developer you know that that then is great but yeah you know it's, it's two different ways of making the player confused yeah it feels less like trickery and more just that they're not kind of following the template so strongly that everything's obvious which is which is really good and even in terms of pacing with other stuff it's not really a spoiler you get like the gems really early in the game you know the things you can use to augment weapons and make oh, fire right. weapons yeah. it's uh, a lot more frugal with all that stuff and there's a lot more scope with it so it's kind of more encouraging you to early in the game 
rather than the L ones, it's just been like you kind of think, oh, well, I don't know what to use it with, so I guess I won't. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, then it's the end of the game. Yeah, and so like early finishing. in the game, you're like, let's make a fire sword. Cool. Yeah. Um, and lets you play with that stuff a lot more. That's good to hear because I was one of those dudes who finished their sex with like 400 batteries in my Yeah, you just don't use it because you're worried. I'll save these for, yeah. <laughs> for, for, for when I need them. It's like Final Fantasy Potion Syndrome. Yeah. Like, you're just being like, why have I got 99 X potions? Like, I should have, I probably would have needed them at some point, but I didn't use them. Uh, popular games writer Tim Rogers has a theory that the entire Final Fantasy series and so a lot of the whole JRPG industry would never have existed if potions had been the second item down from the shop menu in the original Final Fantasy because you had to buy like 40 of them which involved going back through the menu all the time oh god so you know if they put it down that would have doubled the amount of button presses required to buy potions and and the game would have failed the game you know like and all of game history would have changed but yeah yeah. you know it's funny though because usually development studios taking us back to Dark Souls yeah uh, they build a new franchise and they go oh right you know what we're not doing uh, Far I was going to say Far Cry anymore that's a terrible example because they are still doing Far Cry but when a series says, okay, we're done with that franchise, here's our new franchise, uh-huh. you know, and they move on, they're not necessarily likely to go back, but we've had Bloodborne. We've had, like, an evolution of the series and a different world to play yeah, in. It must be and contractual. now they've gone back and done another Dark it, Souls. It must be contractual. It and must I was be. done with Dark Souls after two. Yeah. I, I mean, was kind of done with Dark Souls after one. Yeah. From have proven with Demon Souls, which, if you haven't played, is still, like, uh, it's actually my favorite because of... um the palette they play with, and I've talked about that before. Um, but, like, Demon Souls, different, interesting. Dark Souls, different, interesting. Bloodborne, different, interesting. Like, it's almost like the zeitgeist around Dark Souls has gotten so big, like, come on, let From Game make, you know, new worlds. And They've I really, they're good I at it. think they will. I, I really feel like this is probably a contractual obligation to Namco. Well, I mean, I think we can expect Bloodborne 2 next. I, don't, I would I would put money on that. I really hope they don't, because yeah. uh, Bloodborne's just done. And actually, like, the thing was, like, when I finished the Bloodborne DLC, I was so impressed with the full arc like it finishes the story enough anyway like there's you don't need to know more mm-hmm. in a way and that's why I'm so impressed with it and the fact that like Dark Souls is still like even when you go and watch all the lore videos and stuff there's a lot of holes in that and I get the impression that Dark Souls 3 because it's set in the same world again will actually plug a lot of the holes in the plot mm-hmm. whereas Bloodborne feels like complete enough when you go through everything you've got a big enough picture of what it's gone on yeah. and actually the final reveal in the DLC of Bloodborne which obviously I won't talk about at all is such a simple one which just finishes for me a really big part of the puzzle and you just sort of go oh fuck okay and it's not even like a kind of mind blown thing it's just something which I'd always go well, you'll probably never know why that happened. And mm. then you find out. And you're like, oh, it was really simple. I went, that happened because to, of that. I went full 12-year-old with the Bloodborne DLC. And rather than buying it, I loaded up YouTube and you watched watch all it. the coolest bits. And I had a really great 10 minutes. Some of those fights, that last boss took me six hours. I really? It took me six, hours. six seconds. So <laughs> I, which of us is the real winner here? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not. But yeah, one thing I'll say is, yeah, it's it's kind of... It's it's kind of a fake out, and basically the first ten hours, and it's unbelievable to have to say this, but the first ten hours of a video game are kind of a fake out because it's very linear. Dark Souls Three, yeah, it's very linear. It's very rehashing old ground. Hmm. The enemy designs are quite trite, and you just think, oh, they've done another Souls Two, especially because at the start it's just going, look how pretty everything is. Ignore the frame rate constantly losing its shit. (laughs) Look at how pretty it is, and you're like, oh yeah, but fuck off. This isn't what it's about. 
And then it's suddenly, about put me in a swamp. And also, yeah, it's like it's it completely loses that sense of journey and progress because early on, a it's quite easy, and b the bonfires are really close together. So huh. you, you, at first, you're just like another bonfire, really. Like they kind of like really ease you in, which is good because I think it's less of a deep end. It does get deep, okay. <laughs> and then suddenly, it's like ah, oh, now it's hard, okay. Um, but still, it's so like you keep bumping into characters that are like, "Oh, it's that guy," and it's not. It's like a different setting. But okay, it's like, so it sounds like what a sequel, in some senses, should be. Then, which is putting loads of stuff in there for the long term fans. Absolutely, go, but I am never a fan of fan service. But I don't know. But I feel like that is actually subversive, and it feels like to me the whole of Dark Souls 3's thing. I may be wrong, but it feels like it's a thing of being, like, making you feel like, ah, yeah, it's just fan service, but actually maybe not. And I, 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 I could be wrong about this, but there's been starting to be glimmers of stuff that makes me think, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> Which is, that's what got me into it, because there was a point about 15 hours in where something happened, and that was when I got interested. Before that, I basically, like been treating Dark Souls 3 like the exact same way I've treated the whole of the second game of just playing through it without ever really having any moment of getting into the story until much later in the game when there was a couple of things that happened that got me into it a bit mm. but earlier in this it's like I'm kind of in now and I just hope that it's it's uh, it's worthwhile I'm sure it will be and it also opens up it, it goes from being this linear thing to being like really wide open areas with a lot of um kind of shortcut stuff tying things together. The problem with Dark Souls 2 was it was very much like, um, you know, diamond level design of being like kind of... Oh, right, yeah. You, you know, can take two paths, but they lead to the same point. Yeah, and you, can and you like go that. in and out of this area. And sometimes you find a shortcut that takes you to a different area, but it all felt really disjointed. Whereas in this, it's like you often find yourself going, oh, okay, well, this opens that gate that I couldn't open before. And everything's kind of interconnected in a way which which it reminds you of the geography. It does that thing of being like... You move through this area, then you move along, and then you find a gate that's back to that area that was the one in before the one you just yeah, came from. Yeah, sure. And then you go, oh yeah, because actually, even though I've done all the stuff, I haven't really gone that far. Yeah. Like, and yeah, it seems it seems pretty cool, and it seems also pretty feature rich for all the people who care about stuff like, uh, you know, the online and the combat and all of that stuff. Oh, that's fun. A nice goodbye then. So if people are, you're saying that. Basically, your official Dark Souls three cool ghosts opinion right now is it's good. Yeah, it's all right. You can get it. That's it's the good. thing. Like at first, I was like, "What the hell is this about?" But then again, I, I I've spoken to a couple of people who also felt the same as me that the first ten hours were pretty underwhelming. But then I've also spoken to a lot of people who thought they were really cool. So and a lot of these people are the people who reviewed it. So it might actually be overall still a bit underwhelming. Let's. But it's not bad. I, I thought Dark Souls two was bad. I, well, if I'm being honest, I mean, I if on the last episode of Dark Souls, I liked you and Jim's like, I mean, Jim's point of like, it's the same, and you say no, it's completely different. But I mean, it's it's the difference between two different red wines from the same valley, right? Like it's yeah. so similar, and yeah, yeah, within the greatest spectrum of third person action games, they are the same. But within, if you zoom in... Yeah, if you know about it, they're very different. Oh, completely, yeah. No one could possibly confuse the two. <laughs> uh, so, we've got our sort of paddle boat of, uh, of non-spoilers and, and sort of non-excitement. We, let's talk about something that is a bit exciting, that we played. Sure. With a lot of bullets, a lot of fun. Yeah, that is fun. Uh, we, we entered the gungeon. Into the gungeon. Which is like a dungeon... 
with guns. Right. There's so- been a couple of games recently I've been really ready to hate. Um, <laughs> and I talked Good. about one of them last week. Good. That's your, uh, that's, that's your critical uh, integrity. Uh, well, no, it's just, I- you know, when you expose people to marketing, you get what you get. Um, yeah, sure. And- I mean, I don't actually... Critics are human beings, and sometimes they just... We're humans. We are ready to hate. It was stuff. like I said last week with Crash Lands, which uh, Crash Lands, yep. which I I saw the trailer, despised it. Hey, it takes a big game, man to play really a chill. game, ready to hate it, and then say I was wrong. Oh yeah, no, I love it. It's, say that's it, great... Matthew. Say it. I, I was wrong, wrong. Yeah, you were wrong. Well, no, I was still the same. I still hate the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and like the game. Yeah, uh, it's just the trailer was not a good representation of the game. But, but yeah, it, you... but it sold them loads of copies of the game. So fine, good for them. Uh, but the Gungeon stuff, the fact that it's like uh, you shoot bullets, you collect bullets, bullets, you, everything's bullets. Yeah, the, so thought, the currency is bullets. Your yeah. hearts, representing your health, are in fact two composed bullets. of two bullets, uh, one lying over the other. Um, what else? The enemies are bullets that shoot bullets. Uh, you go into a bullet mine at one point. Yeah. So and it's yeah. all a bit fucking like Mighty Boosh Mirror World, you know? It's you know like, what, it's, though? It's all right, but it... Here's the thing. Playing co-op, uh, Enter the Gungeon, we were both laughing out loud at the script once every five minutes. Yeah, it's good. That's the thing. I, I was sceptical about it because I just felt like is that's exactly kind of like twee comedy stuff that usually just sets alarm bells in my head as being like, this is gimmicky rubbish. Yes. But I, it's not. It's, it's good. not. I'm going to do my thing and tell people what it is. Sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, so if you're aware of Nuclear Throne, this is the kind of, uh, I don't want to call it a new genre, but the... Uh, the the format of a top down sort of like uh, shooter, except you are a man on legs, and then you're it's like a bullet hell shmup, but you're a man instead of a ship, right? That's the fastest way I could describe it. So it absolutely takes a ton from Nuclear Throne, takes the sort of weight feel movement, takes the uh, the format of enter a room, doors close, enemies appear, kill everything. Um, and I've seen Rami actually, a developer, one of the two developers on uh, Nuclear Throne, try and talk people down on Twitter and saying like, yes, it's very similar. No, I don't think that's a bad thing there's room for both i'm happy with both and then enter the gungeon got on my radar that rami was saying that it's a 50 50 split between people who prefer the incredible game of nuclear throne or enter the gungeon yeah and i went okay i gotta check this out and they feel really different to me i mean obviously there's Dude, a lot oh, this is dark souls one and two talking uh, no, again. i don't know They're so like, similar i mean obviously yeah but then like that's like saying it's any top-down shooter it's like any bullet hell shmup is no way man because both are games where you have you with a ridiculous roster of guns you can only hold a few you pick one up and it radically changes how you have to play you have to adapt to that it's both the games where you walk into a room you see a new enemy you laugh because they're ridiculous and then you become terrified because they do some crazy thing yeah but i don't know i feel like um i feel like they are different games like the thing is about this is it's it's a bit looser in some ways it's still tight but it's looser in some ways in the fact that it's got a bit more give whereas nuclear throne i love it but it is it's it's in a very it's a very refined thing nuclear throne is very cramped you are put in tiny arenas yeah. when bullets come at you you have to take cover whereas this is a lot more of the, enter the gungeon is like the bosses are more out of like ikaruga or something where huge waves and waves of hundreds of bullets and you have to navigate them in the huge room that you're in yeah, and also you get downtime. Like, it's the fact that you have rooms to clear, and it means you have kind of a moment to catch your breath, whereas often in Nuclear Throne, like, the only time you get to catch your breath is before you go into the end-of-level thing, yep. the warp. And sometimes you don't get a choice in that, because it's just... Because it appears on top of you. And you just, like, yeah. go. And, uh, and, yeah, basically, I don't know. Also, it just seems like... Um, thing about Nuclear Throne that I love is just it's packed with so many tiny details of being like like the big slug things like there's a, you know if you shoot them and you just keep hitting them with bullets really quickly in succession then they 
die and they don't pop into more little worms. And yep. the fact that there aren't actually very many, many enemies in uh, Nuclear Throne, yep. but they're all really smartly designed with lots of little quirks and stuff that yep. you get to know them. Whereas in this, it feels like there's more enemies and there's more kind of stuff, but... Not in a bad way. It's more like Jackson Pollock. It's a lot more. We've splattered loads of enemies and bullets and ideas on the screen, and you just pick your way through them in a bit. Yeah, of a it just feels like more. I mean, Nuclear Throne. It's sillier as well. Yeah, Nuclear Throne. I love it, but it's also a bit too demanding for me in some ways. Yeah. In terms of the fact that it's so full on, and um, you know, you have this thing of choosing upgrades between levels, but there aren't that many of those upgrades either. Mm-hmm. But it's because it's not made to be a game with stuff. It's made to be a game that's like tight. Yeah. And, and uh, this feels to me more like a game with stuff, which is fine, because yeah. I actually really like that. In a no, way. yeah, there's a huge Bible called the... Oh. The Bulletopedia. It's but not even that. Is it's, it the, it's like the Gunanomicon. The Gunanomicon, yeah, I that's don't know, it. Man. It's, it's good. But yeah, as, as you finish one playthrough and you find a couple guns, you fight a couple bosses, and then the game's like, oh, yeah, you found two of the 30 bosses and two of the fucking 200 guns. In yeah. the game. I got a gun that looked like a sailboat. And uh, I read the description and it said that, oh, this fires bullets so slowly that the bullets have been known to mutiny and change direction. And it was almost useless, but hilarious because you could fire these bullets off and they would float gently through the level like like little ships. Obviously, they wouldn't hit something because they're traveling so slowly. But then I realized they never stopped. So if I entered a room and fired off like five of them, then I'd have these bullets just traveling and demolishing shit as I'm running around with my faster gun. So much to find and play. Yeah, and I think that's the thing is that like, yes, you say these games are really similar. But the the interesting thing about a roguelike roguelike game is that you're not just going to play it for five minutes. It's going to be a game that you play for like, well, in my case, I'll play it for like maybe 20, 30 hours. And although initially the starting point is the same, the way you journey through these games, the journey you have with them as a player will massively vary. And the thing about um, Nuclear Throne that means I find it a bit too hot. Oh, it's a very narrow is line. It's, it's a narrow line that is just all about you getting better. Yeah. Right? And there's not a lot of variety there. There is some with like, some the guns secret and stuff. Forks as well. And there's secret forks, but a lot of the secret forks are uh, to do with skill. To do with you being good enough, can you yeah. take this crap item and keep it for long? Yeah, enough? the uh, the one the one to tell people about. It's like you can start with a screwdriver. Yeah, and if you take the screwdriver all the way through to the junkyard, which is like level three, you, you find a golden car. And you hit the golden car with the screwdriver. You get in the golden car and drive off to a secret level. Yeah, and that's awesome. A secret level, which is a motherfucker, by the way. And I mean, it's similar. The similar stuff in uh, the Binding of Isaac, which I, I've played a lot of, but still oh, don't I hate, like. I know. Yeah, I I've played it for like thirty hours, but I don't like it. Yeah, like which is bizarre thing to say. Um, but I, it's not even like I played it for twenty five hours and then went oh I don't like this very much I didn't like it from the start and it, yeah, aesthetic, it was, it's very Moorish I mean I love Super Meat Boy but the aesthetic of Binding of Isaac is like nails on a chalkboard for me yeah absolutely and that's the thing is I, I it's, it's actually mechanically tight enough and a lot of fun that I've played it for a lot of time but the whole time I'm sitting there going I hate this aesthetic like, I just hate it <laughs> um, but at the same time it has that same thing of risk of rain of just like oh wait before we move on do you want to know my shooter with my favourite aesthetic ever yeah uh, is Luftraussers Oh yeah, yeah. The Vlambeer's like pseudo World War Two. Quick, get in the. <laughs> Every level of Luftraussers is. Ah, oh, you're in the experimental ship. Go, and you fly off in a biplane. You shoot about a hundred things. You blow up in about twenty five seconds. Monotone sepia. Yeah, it's mono. Yep, it's all just two colors, like a Game Boy. And also, you can change that. I've talked about this in Dark Souls before. I know I have, but I'll talk about it again because my God, I'll talk about it until every son of a bitch on the planet knows about this. Um, you can change your gun, your plane's body, and its engine. I think, and. 
every one of those three things you change changes the bass, treble, or the mid of yeah. the of the soundtrack. So it's a custom soundtrack for every type of ship. Yeah, it's, it's such a cool idea. It's a Batman by Lufthouses. It's like it's the best evening oh, yeah. you'll ever have. That's the thing. But again, exactly the same as Nuclear Throne. It's a game where you've got all of this scope, but it's all stuff that you unlock through being good. And there comes a wall where it's just like you know what you've just got to be. Good you know, now. it's funny though because Vlambia have such impeccable taste that I, I completely get and agree with what you're saying and that and understand why people might prefer Enter the Gungeon for that because it's this wacky like whole smorgasbord of ideas oh yeah but Vlambia have such impeccable taste like every character design in Nuclear Throne every weapon every level um, is so good that I'm okay with Vlambia going we've curated a tasting menu for you you're going to go through level oh, 1 no, to yeah. level 2 to level 3 it's not even a criticism it's just the fact that these games um, eventually uh, gate you with skill which is fine I've got no problem with that as a system it's not like that's bad it's just personally uh, whilst I enjoy these things and I enjoy the intensity of them uh, like one of my favourite roguelikes remains Risk of Rain which is a game where like the more oh, you the play the maddest it, most broken ass yeah but the more you play it, the more you unlock new things, which will appear in the like the random generator of stuff you can like get. Like a cake or and a diving just helmet. Yeah, they're just better. So like, the more you play it, the better you get, and and like, yeah, you just get better things, and it means you just you you don't you will get better at it by playing it, and you need to be quite good at it to play it in the first place. But after a while. It just allows you to keep seeing new things by just the sheer quantity of volume. And I don't know if Gungeon's like that. It Mm -hmm. may not be. But I find these games where you have, like, tons of stuff that you know you're just going to unlock through playing it um, a bit more appealing because I know that I can play them on an off day and it's not a complete waste of my time. Where it got to a point with Nuclear Throne where I was like, (laughs) if I wasn't feeling awake enough to play it, what's the point? Yeah. Like you know, you've got that skill barrier, and you're not going to achieve anything or see anything. But new. you must if you if you get like burger on your on your iPhone or um or Super Hexagon's another good example. You'll be aware of the weird thing that um you need to pull out Super Hexagon like five times a day to progress through it. Five random times throughout the day. Same same true for Burger, which is an amazing flipping game. People should search for because it it's cheap or free or something. Um, but yeah, the secret to getting really far in Super Hexagon or Burger is uh, to play it at random times during the day because you'll discover that turns out at 9am, just before breakfast, uh, you'll be a demon. Or like, waiting for the bus after half a drink, you'll be a demon. But you never know when those moments are that you're just going to demolish all your high scores. Like, you never know when you're on. You think you do, but you don't. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's I'm, the thing. The highest score I set on Super Hexagon was um, on a plane when there was shit tons of turbulence. And I was literally <laughs> bouncing. <laughs> that's fight or flight, isn't it? I know, it? I know. God knows why, but yeah. Your body's like, we've got to fly this plane. <laughs> so, yeah. We've got to escape the plane by escaping this hexagon. I don't know. Yeah, but, but it seems good. And actually, like, it was fun to play co-op. Um, it, it was really fun co-op. But, but at the same time, like, I, I'm looking forward to having it on my own because it's one of those things where, like, you just there's something about having your own so screen. hurt. No, come on. Like, you know what it's like when it, it actually does the whole co-op thing really well of when one person dies, they become a helpful ghost. Yeah, who can, can float around and Occasionally blow up stuff. There's a re- I, my favorite co-op mechanic in it is that um, uh, you have a... If you pop in both sticks at the same time, you clear the screen of bullets. Yeah. Um, but it's not like you share those resources that that's called a blank and you each get two blanks per level which means if you're in trouble then you can use your blank but that obviously clears the whole screen for both players that's the thing of there's a huge wave of bullets and you're like oh can I dodge this and then all the bullets disappear and it's that the that, ghost it's the true moment they of blanked like, it thanks buddy looking after me from beyond the grave and obviously does that spelunky style thing of when you find a treasure room and somebody's dead you just bring the other person back there's a little angel. burst of confetti as well when yeah. your friend gets out of the chest there's a lot of details to it and obviously we haven't talked about even cool things like the fact that um 
you can flip over like tables. There's lots of room oh, God, tables. Yeah. How do we you not can, talk about you can that? Flip over them to create cover. Um, so yeah, I, I think it plays really differently. Like I the, loved the boss, which had a missile launcher, and then I was the only player alive, and you as the ghost were whenever it launched missiles at me, would go and divert them with your little ghost blast. Yeah, just blast so I'm them like, away. oh God, two missiles. Can I dodge them? And then they would be blasted away, and I'd be like. Phew. And Thanks, there's tons Matt. of video game references as well, but in a way which is actually really endearing um, and uh, not just like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, not... Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm so... I get so bored with that, that was That was an amazing uh, delivery of that. But yeah, no, it was awesome. Uh, I want to talk about another game we played. Because you came over and we played a bunch of local yeah, games. Yeah, we stuff. played a bunch of really good games. Though. Let's talk about yeah. the best one. Well, okay, well, no. Let's talk about the best one, but not the modern one, because we have to, because you hadn't played it, which is Samurai Gun. Okay, and it's just how how had you how had you not played? Because you play loads of local car games. Yeah, like, everyone's talking about Nidhogg. Mm, that's fine and all. Nidhogg's fine. It's good, but Samurai Gun is the shit. Yeah, especially because I could just pick it up and within a few minutes I was like holding my own in it. Which yeah, the you won't beat me though. With, <laughs> the problem I had with Nidhogg was um, the fact that like if you don't know what you're doing, then you're just dead. Yeah, like it's a real skill thing. And it was kind of touted as being a cool party game because it looked great on a big screen in a pub of being like, what the fuck is this? But it's not a good party game because it's like, you know, it's like when I used to play Soul Calibur 2 at a party when I was younger and everyone hated me because it was basically just take it in turns to try and beat Matt as Mitsurugi. And you can't because I was really good with Mitsurugi. Yeah, no, Nidhogg's an amazing thing, but uh, you want a game to play out of the party. Samurai Gun, simple. You could, like It's basically just little jump slash wall jump. A little arena thing like Super Smash Brothers or something. Or, or like Towerfall. Cause it's or like, like the whole... Towerfall's a better. Yeah, um, it, it, Towerfall and Samurai Gun are like the only two games you need to play until you die. But the two, the three restrictions are your wall jump is very specific and isn't like it's, isn't like it just works in a certain very consistent way. Yeah. And you really need to get your head around that. And then also the fact that your slashing of your sword is great. You can do it in any of the four directions. So you can do it when you're in the air as well. But it has a cooldown. It's it's not a long cooldown, but it's long enough that if you don't time that swipe right, if you you're miss, dead. Yeah. So it's, it's every single encounter where you and obvi- the other thing is well, one hit, one kill, one hit, one kill. So it's and obviously then it's like Super Meat Boy where the developers have just honed it and honed it and honed it until playing it feels like you're dead and you've gone to heaven. Um, but yeah, it's every single encounter is a game of chicken because two players are hurtling towards each other. Yeah. And if you press the sword too early, you're dead. If you press it too late, you're dead. But, and this is the key thing, if you press it at exactly the same time, there's a clang and both players are catapulted in opposite directions, um, which if you're playing a three or four player game can be hilarious. Yeah. Or like amazing, there was a one great bit when I was diving down towards you and I slashed my sword down just as you slashed it up. And because you were standing on the ground, you had nowhere to go. But I just sort of like ricocheted off into some spikes. Oh yeah, you went flying up because I just like yeah. I just flew off to the side and just dead and it's like it was just I mean it's one of those cool games that is just so the graphics are so simple but the violent is so the violence is so immediate and over the top and very much reminiscent of like old school slash you had a good point as well which is that every death is so cool that yeah. no one minds that they die it's just like two samurais hurl themselves at one another and die and one of them dies, and it doesn't matter because it was cool. And yeah. you're back in a second. So the last thing we haven't said is it's uh, called yeah. Samurai Gun because you have a gun. And instead of slashing, you can shoot a bullet. There's two problems with that. First, Samurai gets three bullets. Only three, which means that um, you have an absolute Dirty Harry situation of like, you know a player's shooting at you and you dodge and you dodge. And then you have that 
did they fire two bullets or three? Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. you and then the best is also you have to count. There's no visual representation of how many bullets nope. you've got, which means there can be a moment where a player's running at you and you're like, okay, wait, fire the gun. And then you just hear the click and you go, yeah. <laughs> and then obviously get sworded. Yeah. But uh, you can knock the bullets back yeah, with a well-time sword. And the other thing, the thing you didn't notice, but um so let's say two players are uh at the opposite end of the screen, one fires a bullet, the other uses a sword, hits it back. The other one can obviously hit it back again, and they can play tennis. Keeps getting faster. Yeah. yeah. It gets faster and faster and faster and faster. And I've played so many games where, like, two players are doing that just to show off, and then a third player in the arena will just... Pop in. Literally jump into the path of the bullet and bat it, like, like playing volleyball, and wow. just spike it back towards another player. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's just absolutely hilarious. And loads of little tiny secrets as well that, like... So Nidhogg, you need to learn. You need to learn the controls. Samurai Gun has those uh, rich controls that players can get into if they really want to sink their teeth into it and also tons of levels as well all of which with different little uh, rules yeah I love stuff like when you go in the water you're, you can't fire your gun anymore yeah so I think of being like oh my gun's wet uh, and there are some levels which are pitch black and you, only when a, there's a blast of lightning can everyone see each other <laughs> um, but here's the thing whenever you slash your sword the sword appears so if you slash it's like are they here slash and then everyone knows where you are um Oh, shit, what was I going to say? Um, but yeah, so a, a couple of little things. If you jump and then sword swipe upwards immediately, you go flying up into the air. Yeah. But no one needs to know that. Also, if you hold down crouch, after a couple of seconds, your character will lie down on the floor and look like a corpse. Yeah. And again, no one needs to know that. But it's that beautiful thing for a local co-op game of, if you played it before, you go to your friend's house, you play it, and they're all like, what did you just do? And you're yeah. like, hey. Yeah. It's that wonderful thing, um, a game uh, from years ago now, uh, Joe Danger, uh-huh. which uh, came out uh, on the 360 and uh, at the same t- at the time, I think. But now it's on. you can play it on mobile phones and stuff. I don't know if the iPhone version Joe Danger was like a endless runner type thing. Right? No, it was a, a kind of stage-based thing. Um, so maybe the phone... That's what I meant, yeah. I was trying to come up with the genre and couldn't. It was really cool. It was um, was like a cross between Sonic the Hedgehog and Tony Hawk's uh, and Trials... Yeah, Trials was and the touchdown for me. It was yeah. actually kind of one of those wonderful things where I think that's how I kind of described it in the review. And then when I went to their office at one point and talked to them about it, it was like pretty much like uh, the four games I described it as being a mashup of. That was kind of their design. Okay. And I was like, wow. I mean, that's 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 when games are good. And those are the guys, Hello Games, those are the guys making No Man's Sky, which is one of the main reasons I still think oh, No yeah. Man's Sky is going to be good. Because I think for them to go into a design with being like, we want it to be like a mashup of these games, and then for people to review it and literally say, it's like a mashup of these games, that is a case of game design uh, going from idea to execution mm-hmm. in a way which is just superb. And that game was so simple, but um, wonderful, wonderfully rich. And uh, what was lovely about it is you had these very similar, it reminded me a lot of it, in the fact you have very simple controls, but in playing with them, you start to realize you can do all these very clever things, but it never tells you about them. You just sort of go, oh, hang on. Like, <laughs> and then you, they become muscle memory, and you just start to develop these very cool, simple skills that let you do things, and, uh, and you feel really pro. Um, but yeah. It's good shit. It's yeah, good. Like, I don't know. It's control. Ugh, controls are a whole weird thing. It's I don't know where I'm going with that. They controls are. are crazy, man. They are. Controls... But Samurai Guns was cool, and I think Joe Danger is still awesome as well. Like what I loved about that was you'd have like some missions which would be like go and find all the stars or like you know jump all through all these things, and they'd be a bit more finesse based, and you could take your time with them, and it was about doing skillful stuff. But then they'd have ones where it was like yeah, beat this time, and it would just be like try and just get through the course as quickly as possible and about kind of getting that platforming style like nailing everything mm-hmm. and I then do. also like trick attack ones where you had to do the same thing of like getting the speed and finding jumps and it was all about being like t- trying to basically look through the level and find there would be a big jump somewhere or there'd be something clever you could do to get a lot of airtime. oh hey speaking of uh, finding tricks through the level 
Ultimate chicken horse. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> so within Matt and my saga of uh, continuing co-op stuff today, or like local multiplayer. Yeah. Ultimate chicken horse. Ultimate chicken horse. Oh, baby. This is this has absolutely been added to my roster of uh, stuff to play when people come over. It's got a shoddy name. <laughs> it's, it's got a shoddy art. And man. it's got a shoddy art. But willfully shoddy art. Yeah, I mean, I think so. Well, I mean, sort of, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> I think they probably just went, ah, oh, this will do. Yeah. Um, it's just crazy in it's, the fact that basically you take it in turns uh, in the no, best Not mode. even literally there's no turns. Oh god there isn't no it isn't yeah. You, you get explain. a okay you get a platformer uh, you can you load up a level between two and four players or jump in the level you can play it online as well if you want to do that that would actually be really funny playing it online. Um, and then it, it opens up a if you're playing a party box. box you go party box and it opens up and there's some things in the party box like a platform or a spike or a a uh, hockey stick that flicks hockey pucks. Yeah, you got like, a plank of wood or like uh, a traditional bo- kind of spinning chainsaw that's a uh, lot like a Mario style bomb or thing. One half of a teleporter. Got it. Gets, yeah, and any of the items from Super Meat Boy, basically. Uh, and then everyone picks one, and then you put it on the level, and then everyone has to complete the level. Yeah, and, and the levels usually start off as being like kind of like one of the easiest ones to explain is just two skyscrapers with a big gap in the middle so to be honest for the first few rounds you can't even complete the level well no you can if you work oh, together yeah. yeah it depends on how much of a dick your friends are being so how you get points and the only way you get points is from uh well somebody has to finish the level but then at least one other person has to die yes. trying to finish the level uh so if someone if any one person finishes the level crap load of points if anyone dies on a trap that gives points to the player who died on the trap so you're very slowly evolving a level but the hilarious thing is that as you play it like 15 times and as players try and obviously do really tricky shit your level will go through iterations of being too easy <laughs> to being impossible, being completely impossible, and it's like sometimes <laughs> everyone will all go for something dickhead, and you'll look at a level. But the fun thing about it, man, is that just like Super Meat Boy, you look at a level and you go, like, you know, the high levels of Super Meat Boy where you'll go, "Oh, I think I know how to do this level," and then slowly after a couple of tries, you go, "No, that's actually impossible. There has to be another way." Yeah. But with this, because you've built it yourself, like you never know if there's a way no, through the level. It might but you just go, be it's it's so funny that. And also, there's no time limit. So one player can run off. And no benefit for finishing first either. So, or at least I don't think there is. So one player will go, I'm going to do this. I think I can jump over the black hole you placed and the gravity won't suck me in. And they do the jump and the gravity sucks them in. It reminds me of, um, God, what is it? Uh, Cabin in the Woods, the Joss Whedon film. Yeah. That if people haven't seen that, then uh, press the plus 15 second button on your phone now. But uh, basically, a guy on a bike is like uh, going to jump over a canyon, and he's like, "I can do this!" And everyone's like, "You can do it!" And he jumps the bike over the canyon and falls in the canyon. And yeah. it's like, "Well, fuck!" But yeah, Ultimate Chicken Horse having that thing of like, "I think I can get between those two buzzsaws," and you realize it's impossible. Yeah, that's the uh, thing is, I, I just love the fact that at one point we were trying to jump over the black hole to no avail. But then <laughs> you'd made—I love the fact that you can just watch to see what other people are doing as well. And you just you put a little block down to make the bottom route, which previously had been almost impossible, a bit easier. And then I just placed my thing to. Just block that route off and, it's and like, you just oh. didn't notice so you just started and then you just tried to fall down this hole to start oh, going yeah. down the route and you were like what and you just hadn't noticed that I just completely plugged it off so we yeah. had to just jump over the black hole and then also you can put coins on the level and the coins are genius yeah because you collect the coin then if you get to the end with it you get loads of points yeah but then you can like put it somewhere hoping that you're going to be able to get it or you can put it somewhere where you think it's impossible to escape with it yeah, or so you think you... anyone with the hubris to... it's so good you go I think if I put a 
coin beyond like because the way the level forks as well. Like, let's say we're playing and we've got this low route, and then we build on the low route until it's eventually just completely impossible. Possibly literally, maybe not, but we don't. We don't go that way because we've also built an upper route now. Yeah. But then it's like I'll put a coin on the lower route, <laughs> and then in a four-player game, maybe one player, maybe two, maybe all three of your friends are just like, I'm going for that damn going coin. For that coin. I'm going yeah. for that coin. <laughs> I, yeah, it's just, it's <laughs> so, one of these things where... The fact where, that it's one coin as well, like, not like 80 coins like in Mario, you get one penny, and then like this horse and this chicken go racing off into a buzzsaw for it. It's funny how you just, you go through waves of begrudgingly having to make the level playable just so you can get through it, <laughs> but also, so then purposefully trying to make it, I mean, like, for a lot of it, I was just doing my best to you make it impossible. You were being a dick. I was literally just trying to make a level that we could fit, and you're just like, nah. But it was so much fun, and I like the way it's got some, some cute little stuff in between, like the fact that after we played it a couple of times, it gave us a new way to unlock a new thing and it did that by putting a big oh yeah this was a, you want to know you should explain this fully yeah so it just put a weird little tag on one of the levels we're like oh there's, there's a question mark on it yeah and we're like oh okay we'll go into the question mark and see what that is and then we went to the level and there was a box being held up by loads of balloons it was really high in the air and it meant that to get the thing it was the first time you helped me build yeah we had to ever. work together because it was like if we want to get the box to get the new thing we have to actually collaborate but and the, I was like that's a nice change wonderful of pace. bit of game design of like that wasn't like we didn't drop us in the level like a sandbox it dropped us in the level in a kind of okay go and be each other but then you and I were like no we don't well, want to we beat each get other the box. we want to get the box in yeah, yeah. yeah which is a wonderful way to unlock something in a party game where you're always at each other's throats yeah and then guess what was in the box a whole new level which was a spooky mansion that then immediately Matt and I we literally said we've got loads to play we'll play something else we unlocked the spooky mansion we went and played in the spooky mansion yeah. which had like broken glass and an elevator yeah. and loads of just amazing had some stuff. Fun stuff yeah no it's really really simple but it's just such a cool idea and uh, yeah, it's done as well. Like, I just like the tone of it being so silly. Like, oh yeah, when you what does it say when you uh, when, when you win? It's like you are the ultimate chicken, or, or you are the ultimate horse, depending on what you are. And there's only one of each one, so you can't even have like a game where you're all chickens. So even when you win, it's just saying like you are the best horse when there's only one horse there. Which is just tiny, <laughs> tiny tonal things like that just make me smile because it's a game where you are fundamentally just constantly trying to screw each other over as hard as you can. It's such a weird um, thing as well. Like, but it's wrapped up in such a fun way. Loads of loads of funny. Shit. Like, because uh, you, you can put down just about every trope from any platform or ever. Like, whether it's some um, ice, falling ice, or glue, or like, you can really get very clever. But you put down um, a teleporter. Yeah. And like a teleporter that, like, you put it, you have to do that in two stages because in one level you put one half of the teleporter. Then a couple of rounds later, you got the chance to place the other, and you did. And you literally placed it so that the first person to run through the teleporter just, just, just wins. Just got to the end. And then I. But with four people, that'd be amazing because, well, not actually because it does, it does reload. I think only one of you gets through. No, it, it does reload again. But it, it, I thought that at first, but it does uh, cool down. But otherwise, but that'd be amazing. It'd be like one person can just avoid all but the But then traps. the hilarious thing about that was that, because um, the, the way the camera's locked was yeah. that. Uh, uh, you can only see the beginning of the level, so you can't see the other half of the teleporter where the end of the level is. Yeah. So I just put a buzz saw at the end. Of the yeah. Teleporter. We just immediately start putting loads of spinning saws, so like you can go into the teleporter. It was you... about thirty percent chance you die. Yeah. <laughs> it's like here's the thing: <laughs> the place we're teleporting you to may have a saw. So funny. And then obviously the glorious thing of like you build a level and you all know it's impossible, and then hey, it's not, and you have to like three of you die, yeah. and then one friend actually gets through. I and couldn't it's that believe it when like, you got through. Oh once. my god! It was yeah. like what? That's possible. <laughs> like that's what really lovely yeah so god if you ever play like local cop or man no seriously more than that if you have like a, a discord group or like if you chat with friends on skype you want something to play online together buy ultimate chicken horse it's completely awesome yeah it's great 
It's just, it's one of the things, it's just such a simple idea. It's, uh, the execution is a bit shonky, but it doesn't matter because it all works so well that it's just great fun. Yeah. Should we do a, should we do a question? Let's do some questions, yeah. You some questions. Oh, well, we've got a bad time. We can do a couple of questions. Let's do a couple of questions. Let's do a couple of questions. Oh, hang on, let me rotate to the top of the podcast document. If you don't know how questions work on the Darth Souls podcasts, if you head to coolghost.net and click on the Darth Souls button, you'll find our questions discuss thread, and then you can drop questions in, and people can upvote questions to the top, or you don't even have to ask a question, just upvote the question question you want answered speaking of which today's uh, most upvoted question from the seething masses is sam cook and sam cook asks what games do you think were wildly ahead of their time and suffered for it matt looking perplexed wildly before their time not sure he was listening he was good no i was nailed it I noted this question before, so I've got a couple of answers prepped. Ah, you're a bastard. I don't even know... Well, you did this last week. I know, because you were too witty on last week's question. You're too witty, and you read it before. Uh, no, I didn't read it long, very long before. Not very long. No, no, I had, like, maybe five seconds. Wow. Ten seconds. I mean, it's an obvious thing to say. Ten I was, I was going to say the mask, but I thought the facade was better. Yeah, was, it's also true. The facade really So, hey. Laugh. Um, uh, so, my... I don't know if this was out of its time, but in terms of a game where I go, holy shit, I love that came to pieces... It's SWAT 4 by Irrational, a little studio that went on to make Bioshock, a game... My favourite deodorant. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so SWAT 4 um, was just... It came out of nowhere, and it is possibly my favourite first-person shooter. Yeah, it's also you can't really play it, apparently, because lots of people... You talked about this, I think, in... uh, No. Recently, and apparently... No, it's one of those things that's hard to play. Oh, yeah, because it's not on Steam or something? No. So I think it's actually quite tricky to track down, because you you, you big this up recently on something else, and people were like, oh, I went to look for it, and... And you literally can't buy it. Oh, it's difficult, yeah. It's like you've got to find an old CD or something. Well, I've started, so I'll finish, and this will be really (laughs) sad, is that uh, SWAT 4 was a first-person shooter that uh, essentially made the shooting realistic, right? So, as in, if you walk into a room, there are two dudes with guns. You know what happens, Matt? You shoot one of them if you're lucky, and then his friend shoots you. Um, That's what Rainbow Six was like. Yeah, it was Rainbow Six, but more so. It was Rainbow Six, but turned up to, like, realistic. Rainbow 7. Right. Nailed Rainbow it. 11. Uh, Rainbow 11. Done. Easy. But uh, the thing I'll always remember, and like I don't even need to go through all the features, the thing I will always... <laughs> good. Yeah. <laughs> no, man. I could I could excite the hell out of the Let people. me get the manual. No, wait. No, wait. Let me get the manual. <laughs> Here's my one story that people need to know, aside from the fact that the first level of SWAT 4 is in my top 10 levels of anything ever. Sure. Um, so you, there's, you're going to go into a room. It's a club. It's a hostage situation. There's some bad gangbangers. They're banging gangs. They're in the club. Uh, and you put the little fiber optic thing under the door, and you look in the big room with the dance floor, and there's like a dry ice machine and shit still running or something. And you count, and you go, one, two, three, there's five of them. Okay, five, got it. You flashbang the room, you and your whole team of amazing AI buddies who are like better than you at the game, which is a great way to do AI, um, run in, you say, oh, get on your knees, get on your knees, get on your knees, shoot. Everyone's shooting rubber bullets, beanbags. Uh, it's complete chaos. You find a guy, you beanbag him, or you tase him, and he's down. And then you tie the handcuffs on everyone, right? And then you're looking around, and there are four people, right? Do you remember, Matt, how many people I said were in that room? No, I don't. Right, because then you in SWAT are going, fuck, did I see four people in there? Because if it was five, one of them got away. And if they got away, you got to keep your gun out, you got to scan the entrances. Or did you get everyone? Because ah. like some people will just bolt and run. And also, that means if they get back to the room, they can untie their friends, because you can't kill anyone because you're a SWAT team person. Or you can, but that was not a good way to get a good score. No, it, yeah, you just don't. Yeah. It's just ace. It was just stunning. That's cool. I mean, and you could play it online where every single person of the SWAT team was one of your friends. It's like the greatest FPS. I mean, I remember like with uh, with Rainbow Six in the original, I found that, like, because it, it was so hard because people would just shoot you. Yeah. Like, 
I just didn't go near any of that. Like, I'd spend ages making the plan and then just have different buttons to press on my keyboard, which would be like, breach the first door. And then it'd be like, yeah. Position, oh, I forgot. Yeah, no. Door. Oh, my God. So I never even in. saw half the levels in Rainbow Six. <laughs> I usually like, I scoped them out a little bit in first person so I could get an idea of how they worked. Mm. And then I'd just start, I'd be at the start of the level and I usually wouldn't see anything. I'd just wait and then I'd be like, I'd be like the guy, the commander back home. But I love that. It was oh, no, it was, it was wicked. It's like, it's so cool to play an FPS where the. Where just yeah, all the AI is better. I think than if you. you got shot, then it was like you failed the mission. So I'm just like, well, I'm not going to go near anyone with guns then, because right? oh, you I, don't need me to be there. I got to talk about uh, the first level of SWAT four. This is a shorter story. Is uh, it, so an interesting thing about the levels in SWAT four is it randomised enemy placement. There were a couple of different variants of a level. So like a SWAT team, when you go into a building, you don't necessarily know what's going to be there, who's going to be where. You just know you have the right to kill anyone you want. Well, yeah, God, it was a different time back then. <laughs> Fuck me, this was actually an era like I think before swatting. So yeah, God, that's food for thought yeah um but uh well also you got the top score for like not killing anyone yeah uh so that was cool anyway uh the first level of swap for after you go through all the training it's like there's a murderer it's like literally like um the police of we think this man murdered someone go and arrest him mm-hmm. and you go into his house and uh, there are two people in that house one of which is the murderer and one of which is the murderer's mum. Mm-hmm. So it's like an FPS level with one enemy and one NPC. That's all you get. And obviously you're not even supposed to kill the M- the NPC. And uh, it is a beautifully recreated suburban American house. And you're literally going from the kitchen to the bedroom and you're petrified, obviously, because he could be anywhere. You're sending people to clear rooms. Everyone's going, clear, clear. And one of the variants of that level is that um, when you go into like, the living room, well, you, just, you just don't find him. He's not there. And then you go into the basement and in the basement is a man-made hole. And, yeah. He's run away! No, well, you got to go in the hole after him. I'll tell you what, you don't want to go down that hole, especially because you've seen mugshots of what the guy looks like, and he is the creepiest-looking dude, and then you're just a man with a beanbag firing gun going into a hole. It's so good. I'm not, I'm not going to spoil what's in the hole. No. But people can watch YouTube videos if apparently come by the game. But, yeah, SWAT 4, gosh damn. That's cool. What game do you think? But it is funny. Like, I was, I was talking about this. I'm not going to dwell on it, but I was talking about this uh, on the internet the other day, just thinking oh, about, about it. about SWAT teams and guns. Yeah, no. It's just that weird thing. Like, I don't know. It's one of those things where I know, especially in the UK, like we've seen a, uh, a resurgence of, of uh, domestic um, like terrorism, which wasn't around in the nineties largely. Oh like, man, have the you IRA seen... kind of cooled off and well, disappeared? And then... Yeah, the charts though are nuts. Is like you feel like because of the media environment, you think we're like it's not even nearly as bad as it was. Yeah, this is the thing. It's like we've got the same amount of terrorism now, kind of as we did in the nineties, and then the eighties were just. Crazy. Yeah, lots of people died. We had like five times as many terrorism casualties in the 80s. And yet we've got more of like a siege mentality now, I think. Yeah, definitely. But I think it's maybe just that we're more aware now because of social media and stuff. Maybe. There's a a greater awareness of domestic violence. Like even stuff like Ferguson, like I wouldn't have had, we wouldn't have known about that. Because like even like a lot of American stuff, like we just didn't know about as much. Yeah. Like, well, I think most Americans wouldn't have known about Ferguson no. without social media. So I think it's this weird thing of being like, suddenly I just feel increasingly like really uncomfortable about oh, with guns? settings. Well, not necessarily just with guns. Like, I'm happy to play stuff like Samurai Gun or, you know, Enter the Gungeon. But yeah. when stuff is like a, a realistic setting, like that Battlefield Hardline game that came out, I think yeah. lots of people were like, what the fuck is this doing coming oh, out? Oh, dude, man, I, I think I talked about Rainbow Six Siege on a uh, previous podcast, and some of my friends are playing that and loving it. And sure, it's a good game with good guns, um, doesn't really excite me me um but some of my friends have got really into it maybe it's your thing give it a shot um but holy shit it is amazing watching rainbow six siege do uh, like uh, backflips to try and make terrorism cool but not creepy yeah like and the way that it's like a 
and the, the terrorists are kind of almost also trying to make terrorists cool. You are in, in, in 2016, you want to see a game try and make terrorists look cool? It's unbelievable how hard that game's working to make everyone feel comfortable, and I think it fails. Yeah. You know, because it's an impossible task. Well, it's funny, though, that these games, like Ubisoft putting out, other guys putting out a lot of Rainbow Six stuff, right? Oh, did you and catch... Like Tom, well, Tom Clancy stuff, and it's like, you know, France, they fucking love their Riot Police, and they've got really cool-looking armor <laughs> for their Riot Police. I think and... every country has cool-looking No, but the French... They've got amazing armor. They Did you read so uh, cool. Kirk Hamilton's uh, review of um, uh, The Division? Yeah, yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was, if people want to Google a uh, lovely Kotaku article by Kirk Hamilton, uh, a.k.a. the man who, when he published his Destiny review, caused Matt to go, fuck, and then have to improve his Destiny video before yeah, it yeah, came yeah, out. Yeah. He's, he's, he's made one of the few people who really, like, he dives deep in stuff and comes up with amazing gems. He's yeah. a really top of his game. Good on Kotaku for letting him do that. Um, you know, play a game for however many hundreds of hours. But yeah, his article on The Division's interesting interesting because uh looking at the politics of the division and looking at where it's weird like you know there are black lives matter slogans written on the street but then you'll go and shoot a black man with a gun because that's because it's an mmo because they're like, looters and it's this thing of being like it's, uh, it's very strange it's nuts yeah but it's it's, it's i'm really, very happy um, to be on the moon in destiny yeah you know and that is the thing and i feel like uh, this is why i can't work out if it's just a natural thing i think part of it is just getting a bit older and more socially aware but i also feel like in this connected world we're much more like um aware of of global violence and global situations uh, in a way which we weren't. I think it's safe Um, to say that in an age of social media, we trust the police a lot less. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But also, I think it's it's quite telling, and I don't think it's a coincidence that you look at Activision, who from years, their bread and butter has been Call of Duty and Modern Warfare, which has been very much like zeitgeisty stuff. Now they're going to space. A lot of people might look at that as being like... Going to space? Yeah, the next Call of Duty game is in space. And and like, you know, I think a lot of people might look at this as going, they've run out of things to do. (laughs) But there's a part of me that wonders... They are trying so hard to escape politics, they're literally leaving the planet. Precisely. You know, that's the thing is they've struggled with it for years of being like, well, we're trying to say something political, but we're also not because... uh," And it feels like their answer is just to get away from it. So we've seen uh, shooters going back to World War I or World War II. A lot of stuff like rumoured to be going back to that at the moment and now going to space. But I find it interesting (sighs) that, you know, the thing is these massive publishers are like deeply political entities and the fact they make tons of money and they want to continue. Yeah, and they put out entertainment that's absorbed by millions. Yeah, and they have to look at trends. They have to look at what's going on. And I kind of feel like at the moment, like a lot of smart people are starting to go, and not maybe as like right now, but starting to go, yeah, like we need to just distance ourselves from this because at some point it might be an issue, um, which is weird. No, it's interesting, but I do think you've got at least two ways of approaching that, which is exactly what you're saying of like Call of Duty going to space of saying let's get the hell away from these you know political issues but it may just be but then a lot of people but then actually you know what that does man is it creates increased market share for the people that do do it like if people want a gun that looks which has really good textures and sounds right your Rainbow Six Siege is right there for you yeah you know like and Ubisoft wants to be like the next Activision kind of uh, EA and they're there I mean they're doing it now like they're doing a great job of it as well so Fair play to them. Weird time. Um, but it is a weird time. And I, I, I can't tell if it's a case of just me getting older or zeitgeist. And I don't really put too much salt in all of this stuff I'm saying. I just think it's kind of an interesting you thing know, to think about. What I'm curious about now is that um, we have reached like the end of the gun related road as far as um, we've got the first, like, I don't know. Well, Enter the Gungeon is, there's an argument for it, like being a postmodern gun game. Like the awareness of guns in video games now, 10 years on from like, well, people have grown up. We now realize that guns in video games are kind of 
absolutely insane that there's so many guns in video games and gun related video games are kind of crazy and now we've got the games that like enter the gungeon that are like the currency is bullets and your health is bullets and the enemies are bullets and they shoot bullets at you and then you get a gun which fires better bullets or ghosts or whatever yeah and so what's that's fine we've reached that end What's beyond that? Well, actually, you asked that, but um, the, the Subnautica dev like posted up a thing. Um, he actually tweeted it, it at me when I was talking about this stuff and about how recently he he kept having people asking about why in Subnautica when you have these giant like underwater fish things that are trouble and trying to mess you up. Why you can't shoot you, Why you can't kill them. Why everything is always about trying to get rid of stuff. It's always about just, just, just scaring them off mm. and not killing anything. And he was asked it a lot, but actually like in the past few weeks he did reply and just said, look, well, you know, I started making this game around the time of Sandy Hook and he just thought like basically it came down to him being like I don't I'm creating another world in this game yeah I don't want to create another world with guns in with, well not just with guns in it but with with guns and where humans are the dominant force yeah that will always win he wanted to create a world where you know what humans aren't like the most dangerous or powerful thing in this world like and you've got to respect the world and, yeah and so maybe that's it. Maybe and it's more that developers actually take a stance of not necessarily making games which are like anti-guns and being like, oh, war's bad, but just being like, well, let's just make a world without that. Like, I mean, uh, restrictions breed creativity is the thing. Yeah. Like anyone being like, oh, but what if I want guns in my games? And I'm sure there are a few of you out there maybe feeling a little sad that, hey, maybe you love guns. You know, that's fine. But uh, but don't worry that developers are removing the stuff because A... There will always be games with really cool gun oh, textures. Yeah, sure, There's a huge sure. market for that. They'll always be good. They'll always be well made. And B, developers not being able to have like guns just makes people more creative. Oh, like, it's like a core mechanic, isn't it? You can shoot things. And so I think whenever As soon you, as you remove that, games get more interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, games will get better. Because you take away like you know, a core simple mechanic, you have to be really creative about getting around that. I can answer actually I didn't answer the question. I've got a really good example of a game which was ahead of its time oh, yeah? and suffered for it. And that is the original Dead Rising. Um, in the fact that Ooh. the original Dead Rising had a... Was that ahead of its time or was it just... I think we've both not answered, not said games that are ahead of their time. We've just said games that are weird and awesome. And no, I think it was ahead of its time because um, one of the things about Dead Rising that always frustrated me was everyone talked about the save system being broken. Um, in the fact that you had to go to specific save points and you couldn't save whenever you wanted and then you die and you'd have to start the whole game over again. But you keep your level and you'd be better. And you'd also have that Groundhog Day thing of knowing when things were going to happen and not getting caught out by boss fights that would fuck you and stuff like that. And lots of people found that idea of having to start the game again really frustrating. Man, I'll tell you what, it is completely paralleled by the popularity of the Rise in the Source games, right? Yeah, that and the fact that, like, you look at XCOM and the the popularity of, uh, like, Iron Iron Mode, like Iron Man Mode. Iron Mode. Iron Mode. It's basically a thing now we have a kind of... um, a culture around games where people are willing to accept the idea of the save game being a mechanic somehow. Ah, uh, like, yeah. That's a good, whereas that's when good. it came out, the idea of that was, it was just everybody treated it as wrong. It was like, why has it got a bad save system? And I was like shouting. <laughs> and I wasn't working in games media at this point. I was just kind of like, you know, a shitty blogger who yeah. couldn't really write very well going, no, <laughs> this is genius and no one gets it. But I still feel that way. And I feel like now if something like that came out, people would be like, huh. And I'd, I'd love to see another game like that. Another proper like, not another Dead Rising game, but a uh, a game which was basically Groundhog Day. I'd like to see another good Dead Rising game. I'd yeah, be, I'd be I'd be pleased as punch. That original game had some cool ideas, which I'd like to see more of again. Hey man, yeah. last last uh, last week you mentioned not wanting to let Darth Souls run over an hour. 
the big you've just hour. you've just run over an hour by saying that I mean oh yeah. shit the, well the hour klaxon behind your head is flashing oh no it's time let's wrap this thing up but before we do oh yeah you've been recording another podcast I know I've been cheating on you there's another more beautiful podcast I'm working oh, on a beautiful man called Ian uh, yeah he's so, great he's great so uh, I'm doing another podcast if you listen to this you're probably into podcasts why not give my new podcast show it's on the Cool Ghost Network it's all funded by Cool Ghost Matt's letting me do it it's my passion project right now it is called the contender and it tracks it's a it's a street fighter 5 podcast but wait because we're aiming it at people who uh don't play street fighter 5 yeah or are new to it right and i've got actually loads of my friends um who don't play the game have been listening to it and saying it's fascinating and that's what all i've been trying to do right because in my games career i've you know been fascinated by like eve online or dota at different times or competitive card games and for me this is like I am fascinated by Street Fighter because I've never played one. I know this is a huge cultural thing. It's an insanely deep game. It's a beautiful game. It's a good game. What's it about? And so this is my slow journey with my friend Ian, who's really good, to uh, get me into the top 10% of players in the world. Yeah, which is a hell of a thing to try and do in just a few months. Yep, but you know what? I'm already in the top 35%. And my journey there has, like, it's so fun doing a podcast with an arc that when I start, like, the first episode is like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Followed by the next episode, which is, this is so hard. And then slowly, now we're on episode five, I'm breaking through the clouds. And if you listen to the first 30 seconds of the latest contender which is episode five the elation in my voice and the joy <laughs> and happiness uh and yeah it's only 20 minutes 20 minutes yeah i mean it's case is not clear it's a self-contained thing so it's not like a kind of like it's going to carry on forever it's going to be like what you'll be done when you're in the top 10 percent sunshine yeah it'll be like uh, the subterfuge diaries or hell duffers where it'll be done when it's done but it's awesome because it's like the equivalent of like you know stuff you would have done uh, back in the day when you were at like rps or something you go away you play a game for months and then you write like maybe a four thousand word article or something yeah. about, about something in detail it's like that but broken down into these cool little edited 20 minute things and you feel like you've got a little journey and then have a resolution yeah. of some sort, which I, hopefully won't be you going, I can't do this. <laughs> but it might be. You know, every, I don't know. Every episode begins with uh, with me using a different uh, piece of music from Street Fighter 2, mm-hmm. and I'm saving all the really cool boss music for when I'm in that 15%, and I'm like, I can't do it. <laughs> uh, like, Vegas theme is the best theme in Street Fighter 2, and I'm going to be... I'm keeping that one. That's going to be my, like... Yeah, but you were so into this that when we were flying back uh, from GDC, you were watching, like, uh, or flying on the way, I can't I remember just watching what was it Creed the kind of rock new Rocky style film and crying oh man just yeah. so into that kind of Rocky montage man, zone if people haven't seen the original Rocky they should and they should cry for like the entire thing I am guilty of not watching Rocky because I assumed it's like oh whatever it's a classic it's boring Rocky is one of the greatest movies ever made yeah I still need to watch it and then I watched Creed and cried yeah but that was because of the altitude but Creed's also really good altitude does make you cry awful things um, right. I'm sure we talked about that. but yeah check it out The Contender you can check it out on coolghosts.net is where we keep all of our stuff and uh, that's where if you're interested in it um, it'll probably be next Thursday hopefully it should all be done by then uh, will be a, a video about Bloodborne's narrative oh nice uh, design it will have some like mild spoilers uh, for Bloodborne and some of the early Souls stuff but I'm not going to talk about the lore you know there's a lot of that already about telling the stories it's going to be very much broad strokes oh really you're going to be talking about how it tells the story yeah absolutely I mean that's the thing is it's um, I think that Bloodborne does some stuff in terms of when I say narrative design I mean in terms of like how 
it tells the story and how it guides you through it in terms of environment, enemies, uh, and lots of other things. Wicked. And uh, especially, I think the thing about Bloodborne, which is awesome, is usually in Souls games, you have the game and then you have the story, and the story is all in item descriptions. Yes. And uh, I think Bloodborne. Which are actually topically written by Ian, yeah. my, my colleague on the contender. Yeah, tra- he translates them. Yeah. Uh, and does a really good job on it. Some of the translation in, in Dark Souls 3 is fabulous. I need to pat him on the back. Um, but yeah, what I like about Bloodborne is it has lots of clever ways that it nudges you towards just being interested enough and fascinated enough with what's going on to actually nudge you and nudge me as a player to actually go and start looking at these item mm, descriptions. I love that's that. something I've, they've never done. I l- I'm so excited for this video, man. I, I love the thing in Bloodborne where you get attacked by something and you go, oh, that's disgusting. And then you go, oh, wait, what is it? Oh, my God. Yep. Is it that kind of, well... Absolutely. trying to come up with a way with not spoiling it but like oh my god it's that yeah. it's, it's that but it did this and now it's that and whoa, I feel sick on multiple levels yeah there's a lot of really clever stuff in there which uh, actually like you know even derivative enemy design is something I talk about that sounds like a bad thing but it's not in Bloodborne the fact that it actually manages to rather than just being like hey it's a brand new thing you like you've nothing seen before everything's vaguely derivative but it means uh, yeah there's but a, you can see the evolution there's a network you know you can you can piece network. things together of being like that's that <laughs> a and then slimy stuff stinky network of horrible things um, that want to eat you. Yeah, it's a really, really clever piece of design. And I think that uh, it's kind of been uh, one of those things. I think when I finished the DLC, I was so impressed with the the full the full story and how it was told. Um, and also I was kind of looking online about seeing so many people saying, oh, I'm glad Dark Souls 3 is coming out because Bloodborne was all right, but it was kind of a stopgap. And it's like, hell no, like Bloodborne actually does a lot of stuff. Oh which, no, screw uh, that. Bloodborne is the best game in the... Uh... I think it's the best ones in Souls, but I think also it's like it just has such a focus uh, in a, even a way that Souls didn't. I think in some regards it, it does things a lot better than the original Dark Souls or Demon Souls. I bet that video you're going to make is going to be awesome even for people who don't play Souls games. Hopefully, yeah. Because it's just narrative design, which is yeah. interesting. I think I've got some interesting things to say about it, but it's taking time because uh, it's one of those things where I think it can be really good. So, Well, time heals all wounds and makes all videos awesome. So. It does. It's true. Right. Well, thank you very much for listening to the Dark Souls podcast, yeah. everybody. If you haven't subscribed already, you can do so on iTunes and you can write as a review if you want oh man write us a review god that's a great idea yeah or actually you know what like we record this as part of Cool Ghosts and Cool Ghosts is entirely crowdfunded so even if you just listen to Darth Souls and maybe The Contender and you really like the podcast you know you just give us a couple of dollars a month it goes towards continuing everything happening you know how uh, that was going to be so suave you know how I think about it Matthew I think about it like if we've ever guided you to buy a really good game, you know, from listening to the Darth Souls podcast, that's worth a couple of dollars. Yeah, if we save some money of not buying something that's rubbish. Exactly. So we're saving you money, so just give us half of that money in return. It's only fair. <laughs> it's just a croissant. That is literally what I do with uh, with some of the podcasts I listen to. If they point me towards a good purchase, then I will throw them money. Yeah, but yeah, if you want to do it, they can. Awesome. If you can't afford it or you don't want to, don't. It's fine. As Either well. way, thanks for listening. Cheers, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.